you're currently a, a nurse uh, or allied health professional, can you raise your hand? Hey, wonderful. I put my wife through nursing school. That's my claim thing. Um, what about nursing students? Okay, another good size group. How about uh, pre-meds or pre-health? Okay, that's, that's uh, I got a daughter that's like that. How about um, med school? Med students? Okay, less than three of you. Okay, we know. Uh, how about residents? Okay, got a few residents. Okay, who else? Spouses. Spouses. Oh, spouses of anybody. Uh, let's say, even if you're a health professional, are you a spouse? Okay. If you're sitting next to your spouse and you didn't raise your hand, you may be in trouble. Okay. So we'll work on that. Hey, looks like we're going to be able to take off on time. So um, my name is John. We're only going to use first names. Um, but Paige is going to be your pilot, and I will be the co-pilot. So. Awesome. Uh, well, welcome, welcome. You got a mic. You all hear me now? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, welcome. We're happy that, that y'all are here to be able to just kind of explore what the next steps in uh, getting your questions answered for long-term missions. Um, we hope that this that this panel here will be useful for you all. That you will be able to get your own questions answered, and then also just be able to to learn from, from others and, and ideas that we have going on. So um, we just pray that this session would be useful and that the Lord would use this to um, just give you clarity, direction, or, or however he sees fit um, in these next couple hours. Um, so we would like to um, just kind of introduce the, the panelists that we have up here. Yeah, so um, would we like to maybe go down the line, start with Christy, just and give a brief uh, just introduction of who you are and, and all that. So my name is Christy. I am currently in Indonesia where I am the provost and the executive dean at a nursing school. Um, it's quite exciting because this is a Christian university in the world's largest Muslim country. And kind of my missionary journey started with doing short-term trips. Uh, we had done a short-term trip to Bangladesh, my husband and I, back in 1993. Did not feel God was calling us full-time. Came back to the U.S., had our four children, and then in 2006 did a short-term trip with our son, at that point who was nine, to the Philippines, and decided we really wanted to do another short-term trip where we had all of the kids. And 2004, 2007, God brought us back to Bangladesh, um, at Malamgat Christian Hospital where I helped to do a continuing ed for healthcare and then my husband helped to uh, do some education things and answer a bunch of computer questions. And what was really neat was all four of our kids who were in ages 5 to 12 had an opportunity to do ministry in helping with an English as a second language. And God used that summer to tell us that he wanted us to serve him overseas and so we joined ABWE, took three years to raise support, went to Bangladesh in 2010. Um, my husband is a teacher. And then God made it very clear after a year and a half he had something else for us and then moved us to Indonesia. And so it's been exciting to follow God. Uh, very unknown at times. Didn't always know what the next thing was going to be. But like we sang this morning, uh, he continues to be faithful in every single step. Good morning. My name is Allison. I'm a physical therapist by background, and I was able to use that overseas. Um, 
Like Christy, my journey started with a short-term trip. I did not want to go to a Muslim country, but that's where the Lord had me go. And I ended up going back um, for two more stints. Um, I was on the field while I was single and also on the field married with a child. So I have uh, experience in both of those stages of life and was able to use therapy on the field to bless many people. So I'm happy to share that with you all today. Thank you. So my name is Jeff, and my wife Elizabeth is here as well. We were in the U.S. working in uh, rural medicine for a number of years after residency, about nine years, and we made the mistake of, of asking the Lord if he had something else for us to do, so be careful if you ask, because he might just say, the next week my friend called and said, would you help us uh, plan a hospital in South Sudan? It's kind of backed in a corner then, because I'd asked the Lord, and he'd been very clear, so we prayed and met the folks, and started down that journey, which was not our plan uh, at all. Uh, The other issue was we had seven children at that time, and by the time we we left the field, we had nine. We took eight with us. One was older. So uh, it didn't make sense to us that he called us to do that. Um, As she was saying this morning in the session, he just gives us light just for that next few feet, and we, we step forward, and that's what we did. It was it was rough, uh, definitely, um, but we were we were grateful for the experience, and we uh, we were served in South Sudan for about five to six years. Then civil war came, and then we uh, moved to uh, northern Uganda, where the, the refugees that we worked with in South Sudan. We've been back off the field about two and a half years now, so we're back in. Rural America. I thought it was apropos that while you were talking about your eight kids, there was a, a child being accompanied out of the room. So we love kids. Um, so I'm Doug, uh, and uh, my wife uh, Ruth sends her greetings too. She's back with our kids in Milwaukee, and. Um, I, uh, I currently work with CMDA as the director for the Center for Advancing Healthcare Missions. And um, I uh, served previously with my wife in Nepal, in the far western part of the country, in a uh, mission hospital by the name of HDCS Team Hospital, Dadaldura, a 45-bed hospital um, in the foothills of the Himalayas. And I served as the medical director there. And um, so when we went overseas, uh, well, first of all, backing up, GMHC was formative for us, uh, certainly part of our story and um, part of what God used to, to call us, kind of a, a high point for us, and so I'm excited for you guys that you're here this weekend. Um, and when we got on the plane, we thought we were going to be serving for our careers in Nepal um, or somewhere overseas, but um, after our first term, we came back for what we thought was going to be a year furlough. And... Um, and uh, within six months of that time, my father-in-law had, had a ruptured cerebral aneurysm, and my wife was diagnosed with stage four carcinoma of unknown primary. And um, so, uh, miraculously, she is still with us now, six plus years later after that diagnosis, and completely cancer-free. Praise the Lord. That's a story for another breakout sometime. Um, but uh, so after that, I. Um, had taken a job working in urgent care to support my family and get us through our, our health crisis. And, um, but the Lord was causing some um, holy discontent, I think, with that uh, status quo. And um, 
I too was praying and uh, got a phone call from Mike Chuck, who's who's in the room here today, um, close to two years ago now, asking if uh, if I'd be interested in this role. And um, so happy to be uh, working with CMDA and um, yeah, glad to be here. Today. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, thanks you guys for sharing. Um, and then just a quick uh, introduction to, to me and John. I think we skipped that part at the very beginning, but I'm Paige. Um, I recently finished training um, in a family medicine residency program, so now I'm out in the workforce um, working as a hospitalist, doing some travel jobs right now, um, and in the season of preparation for long-term missions here in the next couple of years. Um, yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, I've the ladies. Thank you. We got it. Uh, so I'm, my name's John, and uh, we're just doing first names for security reasons. Uh, but my wife and I moved to East Asia a few decades ago with our nine-month-old baby daughter. And we're just there a few months, and then ten years later, we moved with five kids to France. Okay, we were busy then, interfering with for a year. But I, I love to get to pray and encourage people to full-time missions. And so missions mobilization is a real passion that God has given me, so I'm Excited to be in the background and help facilitate. And, uh, I'll do a little bit in the middle here, but this is mostly uh, thank the Lord for Paige kind of leading our session here. So back to you, Paige. All righty. Um, I would. I really appreciate. We got some little stories from each one of y'all. I didn't hear as much from Allison. Would you like to share just a quick little story or something that you that the Lord's taught you? Yeah, I'll share a little bit more. Um, so I currently am working with Frontiers um, as a medical mobilizer. So we, um, I'll, ju- I'll just back up. When I was looking to go to the field, I wanted to do a year-long uh, short-term trip. wasn't sure if long-term was in the future, but I also knew as I was going, I was thinking, you know, if I spend someplace for a year, I might end up liking that and staying longer. And so I was kind of thinking long-term while I was looking at a short-term opportunity. And so I told God, I don't want to go to a Muslim country. I want to go to an unreached people group, and I want to use physical therapy. Um, and the reason for the don't go to a Muslim country mentality was I was single and a woman, and I wasn't fearful. It was just I wanted to be outside. I wanted to exercise outside. I wanted to be independent, and I had this impression that that wasn't possible in a Muslim country. And um, through lots of prayer. <laughs> Um, that's a theme, obviously, here. Lots of prayer and people praying for me. Um, I had a team of folks that was just praying. And I was heading to to Asia, and then the Lord completely changed my path to North Africa. And in that time there, um, saw how using uh, physical therapy led to church planning opportunities, which that was another thing, too. I was like, I don't do church planning. I'm not going with any organization that does that. That's what Frontiers does, church planning in the Muslim world. And so that's where God had me, and then I ended up going back uh, long-term for long-term for two different stints. Um, so that's a bit of my story. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, John, do you have anything else that you would like to share before we get started with the panel? Let's get going. Let's get started. Okay, perfect. Um, so we would love to be able to – that's the first – portion of this of this intensive is to be able to get um, questions from the audience. Um, you're welcome to kind of shout those out or, well, maybe not shout them, but, you know, you're welcome to um, raise your hand. We can get to as many questions as we can that way. Um, also, if you don't feel comfortable asking your questions and would prefer to do the more introverted route of emailing them, we also have um, emails pulled up and we'll be able to get to as many questions as we can that way as well. 
Um, the email that you can email questions to is that um, there at the top question at inhisimage.org. Um, but if we want to go ahead and get started, does anybody have a first question that's, that's just been burning out of that they want to get answered first? It could be anything in relation, really anything, you know, what does long-term missions look like, family, funding, just kind of anything that's, that's been on your mind. Yeah? My question is to Jack. Yes. Yes. I'm a and I have a mission in East Victoria, and uh, I understand everything you said. Uh, the economy in the middle of the crisis that you described, uh, but it was a good year for the people and many missionaries were asked to leave the country or move to Uganda, and we persevered, and now the people are coming back. Uh, the medical aspect of what we do is a major need uh, the man and, and so we, we, uh, we need a short question and then we'll have Dr. Jeff repeat the question to take okay. right, okay so will you go back will you come to a place will you bring people to come to a place I think uh, you know we What's the question? So I'm sorry. So the question is, will I come back to South Sudan? Because people are returning, and there is a great need. And I think the the simple answer is that if the Lord calls us, we'll go. And we are constantly seeking Him. Part of me would love to go back. I love the work. I loved the people. And unfortunately, I feel like right now that's not what He has for us. But part of the reason why we're here is to help fan into flames that for other people. Um, there were a multitude of reasons why we did not go back in, uh, have not gone back in. Uh, we were posed and ready for several years in northern Uganda. Um, but that's a, that's a difficult question. Uh, but it may be that there are three or four people in this room that could do far more than my wife and I and our, our remaining children in the home could ever do. So we'll see. But we, we, we pray, and, and that's why we're here speaking to others, is that they would be, be ready to go when God calls them. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Perfect. All right. Um, anybody else? You know, a lot of questions here, okay? You get the idea. Yeah. Okay, now it's time. Wait, we got to take her. Go ahead. So, can I ask a question about um, a call? I mean, yesterday we were talking about ones who were sent rather than just going ahead of the Lord's leading. And if you just go and you weren't ever called, you know, kind of following the Lord. So, what is, in, I, this is kind of for anyone on the panel, what is, was your understanding of what the call was to actually go for a long time? Yeah, that's perfect. I'll repeat the question real quick. So the question was, um, what does it look like to be called, or what is the sense of a call, and how do you interpret that, I think? So for my husband and I, even when we were at university at Cedarville, we were interested in missions, but did not know what God wanted us to do. Therefore, why we did the short-term mission trips. And the last short-term trip... I know there was three significant events that happened during that trip. We were there in Bangladesh for about two months. Uh, one was in my personal devotions. I was going through First Peter, and God used the verse for First Peter 4:11, uh, 
that talks about whoever speaks is to speak as if they are giving the utterances of God, and whoever is to serve is to serve with the strength which God supplies. The second was on one day where I was very homesick. I was tired of teaching CPR for the umpteenth time. And I got asked, and they were like, oh, Christy, you have the most recent ICU experience. We have a patient. We thought she was having a heart attack, but maybe it's sepsis. And uh, the only doc that we have here today is the OBGYN. Would you take a look? And um, it's kind of like, okay, I'm a nurse. I don't write orders. <laughs> and I got handed the chart. And as God would have it, I had just worked on our sepsis protocol at our hospital in Washington State, so had that on my computer, uh, had to significantly contextualize it uh, for that experience. You know, there's no ventilator, there's, uh, you know, no IV pumps, and by the grace of God, the woman lived. Um, and because of that, uh, she and her husband were able to hear the truth about who Jesus Christ is. I have no idea if they accepted that truth or what they did with it, but they certainly saw it. And then the third is we were getting ready to go. And I'd finished teaching, and I was talking with some of the medics, and they asked me the question, Sister, will you come back to Bangladesh? And I said, well, I don't know. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give the safe answer. If God wants us, we'll come back to Bangladesh. And the medic looked at me, and he said, okay, Bangladesh needs you. You are a good teacher. We will pray. And so those Bengali nurses and medics prayed. Uh, my husband also felt convicted that now was the time to go back for full-time service. So when we came back to the U.S., we met with our pastor. We met with some um, older godly couples in our church, and we prayed about it and felt that, okay, God was wanting us to go back. Uh, again, my husband is a middle school and high school science and computer teacher to use those uh, skills and then my skills in nursing education to go back to Bangladesh. So, you know, everyone's kind of different, but God definitely used events that happened at that short-term trip uh, to get us to really thinking about full-time service. And then when we came back home, uh, used our church to help pray through that um, and support us on what is going to be the next step. Does that help? Yeah, Doug? I'll take a stab at it, too. Thanks. Um, so... What we do know is that we're all called to go and make disciples, right? Go ye therefore. This is a universal charge to all of us. Um, I don't think, and, and we all should be seeking a call on our lives. And I don't think that any of us should assume that the default call is to practice medicine in suburbia in the United States. That shouldn't be the default, you know? I would argue that the default should be that we should be going where the greatest needs are. And if God calls us otherwise, then we should respond to that. Um, and that's not to say headlong, you know, head headlong and without, you know, proper preparation and whatnot into um, difficult and unsecure situations. But um, where there is great medical need, an absence of physicians or nurses or therapists or whatever, um, an absence of Christians, why wouldn't it be that we should assume that said that? That's where we should go unless the Lord directs us otherwise. And again, not to be rash about it, but... Um, and then I think as far as kind of discerning that, um, talk to wise people. Spend great, a great deal amount of time in prayer. Fast. Read. Go. Um, and and talk, with, talk with other wise people. But, um, and take steps. 
um, one at a time. And if, if doors close, great, redirect. But um, I just I, I don't think that our, our you know assumption uh, should be that unless we're told otherwise that we should live comfortably. So. Yeah, that's a really good point, Doug. Um, we got a follow-up question just in regards to this from the emails. And um, it's, so you know that you're called and that you're supposed to go. How do you know where to go or, or where to even start in knowing where to go? I don't know if, if one or two of y'all have any thoughts on that. Yeah, the where. I mean, I just, you know, echoing Doug here, um, where, where is the need? Where is the gospel not yet been preached? Um, yeah, we are all called to go. I, I love, I love these um, these comments here, and you know, I think that the point again with what Doug was saying: keep moving forward, keep taking steps, and God will direct. You know, we can't. Don't be paralyzed. Um, that's what I try to tell people. Don't be paralyzed. Um, just keep moving and in faith and pray. Get other people to pray for you, um, and He'll show you. I, like I said, I did not want to go to a Muslim country. I was going somewhere else, and then that's where God had me end up and. It was it was hard, but the Lord was in it, and he was doing mighty things and great things, and he provided. I wanted to exercise outside. I got to exercise outside. And I met people that way, too, that needed Jesus. Like, there were just so many opportunities. Um, just be faithful in moving forward. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so we got another question from the email bank, and it says, the advantage, I guess questioning, what are the advantages of serving with an agency versus independently? Um, it says when a body of work has been established. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on working independently versus with an agency or any wisdom with that. I know that I have certainly found part of the issue with working with an agency was some of the training and the support uh, that we were given about thinking missionally, uh, going from church to church, you know, having to raise funds, but then also raising prayer supporters. Um, because you're going to need those prayer supporters when you go overseas. Um, and then also just their expertise with cross-cultural situations when weird things come about, like how do you get your visa? How do you get it renewed? Um, how do you deal with the constant changing things with COVID? Um, and I know I'm in a little bit of a unique situation because now with teaching at the university, I'm actually paid by the university, so I'm no longer paid by the mission group. Um, but the mission group has still been very influential in that uh, the prayer support and uh, the missional uh, training. And so certainly have seen advantages uh, with being with the group. Yeah. And, and I think there, the question is about us going with a mission sending agency mm -hmm. versus independently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it can be really difficult out when you're outside of your own culture. And it, it you know, kind of like the, the curves we saw today, it's exponential, I think, over time. And you see the very worst of people um, and in yourself. And it's quite scary. And I think there's a spiritual aspect to it as well that you go to a place and there are spiritual strongholds that, that begin to affect you and you start doing things, thinking things you would have never thought you would have done. If you do that without team in, in a vacuum, it, it can really escalate. And I mean, we were in very rural Uganda the last few years um, and there were a few people that were there independently. <coughs> they almost were killed several times, uh, you know, just be, I think because they were, they did not have accountability, they did not have 
to correct their thinking and how they were responding to stressful situations, um, getting into fights with traffic police. Those of you that have lived in East Africa, that's not a good idea, you know. Um, so when you're with an agency, when you're with a team, uh, you, you have, you will need others, and you will need the people that you go to serve as well. Uh, and if you go independently, you go with a, you're setting yourself up for, for disaster, I believe. So. Yeah, the body presses there for a reason. Yeah, that's good. Um, we've had a few questions come in just about funding and things in relationship to funding. Um, so I guess one we could start off with is um, how do short-term and long-term missions work financially? Any suggestions for fundraising? Um, or if you all just want to share your experiences <coughs> with the whole fundraising question. Let's focus on the long-term fundraising. Yeah. Okay. I can start out. Um, I think it, it helps... Um, to let those around you know about this call on your life at an early stage. So if you're an undergrad, talk to talk to your missions pastor about it. Talk to your talk to your friends, your parents' friends, and and let let people know that. Um, one of the advantages, it's the, one of the disadvantages of being in healthcare missions, and is is the the length and the glide path of the call. But it can also be parlayed into an advantage when it comes to fundraising, particularly if you're relocating multiple times during your training because you have multiple different bodies of people who are aware of your call and and can um, and who you can call upon when it is ultimately time to send out that support letter. Um, so like for my wife and I, we had um, my home church and then med school and residency and a fellowship. Uh, and when it was time to send out our support letter, it was two emails and we were fully supported. Um, but it was also six years of or, or more of cultivating prior to those two emails. So um, so do that do that. Um, it's 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 not just for support raising, but digging into kind of the missions infrastructure in the community that you're in as you're going. I think is really important and can be a real advantage for you once it does come time to make the financial ask. And then those people become your peer supporters too. So, you know, starting at an early, early stage, hey, can you please pray for me? And then be faithful to send updates out to your prayer people. And then that, that list will just keep adding. So then when it comes to time, say, hey, I'm leaving. This is how much I need to raise. They're not surprised. Like, we knew this was coming. And they're already thinking about it too. So when that letter comes for an ask, yeah, of course, we've been praying for you for months, years. And communicate afterwards as well, after you're there, and thank you. Um, yeah, ongoing communication. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we got a question. Um, <clears throat> so this is just a question about like concerns people might have as obstacles in thinking about going onto the mission field. From hearing stories of difficulties being faced, so specifically, um, you know, I think a lot of us have heard stories of just the intense conflict that can happen on the field, the, um, the burnout people can have, also like some people operating out of just unhealthy narratives of like, the long harder I work, the more burned out I am, the more God's pleased with me, and and also like, <clears throat> there's the general sense of like, yes, I'm going to be a light, and I, it's awesome to be excited about that, and then we sometimes see just ways that like, 
like, man, like, are, is there really disciples being made through this? And so it's really common to see people go out for a few years, get burned out, get discouraged, team dynamics fall apart, and then come back in more of a supportive role. And I think when you're talking about a this huge process of like language learning and development, it's tough to like commit to that. So just what what would you guys, how would you guys speak to that in terms of the team dynamics and difficulties faced sometimes? Does that make sense? So no pressure, Paige, but you have to try to... To summarize that. <laughs> yeah, so the question was in relation to challenges and difficulties on the field and how those are approached through the team and just experiences with that, I think. So I, I know for us, we ended up uh, being somewhat in that situation, um, and that's one of the reasons why we moved from Bangladesh to Indonesia, not knowing what God wanted, um, and God definitely had a plan. So one is recognizing God is faithful. He has a reason for you to be there. He has a reason for you to go through this challenge, and it's to get ready for the next chapter. The other is your home church. You know, And again, yes, the mission agency might facilitate a lot of the logistics for being in another country, but you're sent by your home church. And I know as we went through some of those difficulties, it was doing Skype calls with our pastors, with the same uh, you know, elderly uh, couples who, who got us there, uh, just because they were able to give us a perspective that we couldn't get um, being caught up in the middle of it. And so that wise counsel, you know, submitting to their leadership, uh, and again, it goes back to, you know, prayer and fasting and, you know, God, what is it that you would have for me to do uh, in this situation? Um, and I think, you know, the reality is, yes, they tend to be intensified when you're overseas, but you know, we worked for 20 years before we went overseas, and you have some of those same issues uh, here in the U.S. no matter where you work. And so, you know, how do you have those crucial conversations and learn the skills to work through conflict, um, even in some of the relationships and you know, working opportunities that you have here? But prayer is huge, as well as having some accountability outside your team. And I think also it's, it's important to know the know the organization you're considering going with and asking those questions to the organization and what the expectations are with the organization you know versus your home church and how does that work together? Who do you lean on to when you do have a conflict on the team? Um, how do you handle that conflict? What is the expectation for me from a you know a medical working standpoint versus a discipling? Um, sharing Jesus' standpoint, like how do those things mesh together? What is my day going to look like? I mean, these are all great questions to ask, and it's going to vary between the different agencies and the groups, and that's one reason why you want to ask these questions um, as, you're, as you're going through that process. I would say also knowing that you are, indis- you are not indispensable. I think that's one of the biggest lies we start to believe our own press when we get there. Like, all oh, these needs are so great, and doctor, you you have to meet all these needs, and there has to be a cycle of rhythm and rest, and there has to be an investment in uh, with your teammates in relationships. Um, we had some on our team that felt that was a waste of time for us to have a team meeting when there were so many needs at the hospital, but it was crucial for us to spend time with each other because. One of the best witnesses to the gospel is how we love one another. You know, that's how they know we are his disciples, how we love one another. I mean, we want to do medicine well as well. That's a given. 
but we need to love one another well, and we need to have cycles of rhythm and, and rest. And that's an issue of pride and humility, I think. You know, me saying, you know, I can't do everything for everyone. I need to take a break. I need to step away for a week. One last thing. Yeah. Um, three quick things. One is um, you need to pace yourself. Uh, if you think of people running a 400 meter 400 meter lap around the track, if someone starts out sprinting, the people who are behind them are are going to pass them in the in the home stretch. And the fact is, is medical training. You're sprinting. And so if you continue to apply that um, pace and try and do it indefinitely into your career, you're you're probably going to crash. Secondly is um, there's a lot of fun, too. And and there's... I think it's good that we talk about burnout and we talk about challenges and we talk about team dynamics, but healthcare missions is awesome. And the, the wins and the... And seeing people healed and seeing people come to Christ, there's nothing like it. And then the third is Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And if you can do that during your training and set the pattern, you should. And you need to do that on the mission field. Yeah, those are great little wisdom tidbits for sure. Um, so we have uh, another question maybe that we could tackle um, just that's about more the preparation stage. Um, it's as medical providers, how did you balance learning with your practice? Uh, did you take one to two years to learn language without practicing first? Did you do a hybrid model? What is that whole, how do you incorporate language learning with work and all of that? When I went, so when I went short term, my role was to help the long termers, right? And so I was there um, in the, in the clinic doing the therapy stuff. My language learning was very small. When I went long term, I was language learning long time, clinic time very small. Because we realized that when you're sharing Jesus with people, you've got to be able to speak their heart language. And you, ha- you have to be able to. That's where the connection is. And so if you do not invest that early part in language learning, your opportunities to share Christ um, are, are small. So language is important. Yeah, I'd just say a commiserate investment to the time you're going to be spending there. If you're going to be there for six months, you don't want to spend four doing intensive language study. But if you're planning on being there for ten years, then to spend a year studying language is fully appropriate, and you should dive into it. Yeah, that's good. Um, the next question, did you have something to say? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I mean, we, we had very different views on our team about that. <laughs> and, you know, when you try to, to jump into the medical work, uh, without knowing the language and then pick up the language later is really difficult. You really have to. We didn't do that well. We could have done it better uh, to immerse ourselves earlier in the language learning. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a question in the back. Yeah, so, so the question is um, with the question about taking kids and going, and we actually had a similar question with the emails about how do you deal with danger when taking kids or young families, that kind of thing, to the field. So when we went to Bangladesh for that second short-term trip, we had four kids uh, ages 5 through 12, and that was certainly one of my considerations. What do I do if they get sick? Okay, well, I'm at the hospital. So I know the doctors. Okay, God's going to take care of that. And then when we felt that God was calling us full-time, 
I think it was helpful that the kids had been to where we were going to go. And so they kind of had a picture of uh, what this would be. Uh, they also knew some of the other missionary kids because they had met them during that summer. And so uh, they were on board. Uh, we also had some of the teachers at the Christian school where my husband taught here in the U.S., specifically pray for the kids that they had in their class. Um, and I, I think that was huge, uh, knowing that their teachers were praying for them and encouraging them as we went on this three-year journey to raise support. Um, the other thing that we had is when we did our commissioning service, we actually had uh, one of the leaders with ABWE came out and had a commissioning service for the kids. Um, because there was talk about, okay, your parents are called and you kind of have to go too. Um, but uh, he gave us six pieces of twig uh, wrapped around with a twine. And he's like, you know, one of these sticks is very easy to break, but six of them together, this is your family. And you will stick together as a family. And I think, you know, the other thing that I did is I talked to some of the other moms that were on the mission field. You know, what did you do? How did you help the kids transition? Uh, you know, especially for three girls going to a Muslim country. What can they wear? When does it, you know, as they get older, when does it change what they can wear and what they cannot wear? Um, you know, the things about what about food? Uh, what's available? What are recipes? And so talking to others that are already there and who have uh, gone on that journey with you. Uh, but I would say that all four of our kids um, appreciate it now, the opportunity to go. I know it was really hard on our son because uh, he went in grade 11. So he'd been at a school for the first, you know, since he was four years old at the same school with the same classmates, and we uprooted him. Um, and he never told us till later how difficult it was, but now he does appreciate it. And for our three girls, they consider Jakarta to be home. Uh, but get prayer support. Yeah, Doug. One of, when we came off the field, one of our biggest regrets was that we weren't going to get to raise our kids on the mission field, um, and continues to be. Uh, so um, that being said, it's it's not always easy, and and your ministry as as parents is to your kids um, as much or more as it is to to what you're called there to do, and so. Um, you need to, again, pace yourself and keep your priorities in order. Um, and also, um, seek the Lord and trust your gut about safety stuff. Like, one of the things I regret is we didn't insist on car seats. When, um, and that is the most dangerous thing you do, is get in a car in, in the developing world. Um, and we were driving up mountain roads, and that, that, was, that was a total mess. Um, and, you know, in terms of knowing who your kids are around or protecting them. I mean, more more of, of that stuff has come out recently here, too, without getting into great details, but um, guarding your kids' physical safety is, is very important and knowing who they're with and who you can trust. And so um, that's, you're not, you're not putting your, you are putting your kids on the altar, but you're not, um, you, you, you're not um, saying I'm no longer responsible for them. You know, that it's a big part of your ministry is to them. So. Yeah, that's good. Um, so we kind of touched on, you know, the family situation. We did have a question that came in specifically um, as being a single woman 
Um, I don't know, Allison, if you would be able to kind of share a little bit more about the, the challenges and how you overcome fears for safety and just in different contexts as a single woman. Trust the Lord. That's the first thing that's coming to mind. Um, if he's calling you to go, he's going to provide. Um, so I was worried about community. Um, I, I hardly knew my, my team leaders when I went uh, for the first time, but I had a great conversation with them on the phone, and again, through prayer, just felt like Lord was saying, yeah, go. Um, but I was thinking that, oh, man, who's, who am I going to hang out with? I mean, I don't speak the language. It's a, it's a long story. I'd love to share it with you individually sometime. Um, I, I had the envision that uh, my closest people were going to be the folks that I was working with at our therapy center. That didn't happen. I actually enrolled. I mean, I got to know them, but it wasn't these relationships that I was longing for. And I enrolled in a Spanish class. So strange. But I was in a Spanish class with a bunch of local people, and they were all single. Those were my friends. I hung out. There were about 15 of us. We did crazy stuff on the weekend. I mean, crazy stuff. We would go on these little excursions on the weekend, and we would just have these great conversations. And then there was another believer, a single gal, who came on the field, and it was mentioned before, they will know we are Christians by our love. They commented, we noticed the way that you guys are interacting. There's something different about you. And it just opened the door. And I was like, Lord, you are. these are single people. They're not normally going to be interacting with a lot of the other married couples on the field. You just don't cross paths. But the Lord provided this opportunity to reach these people that normally wouldn't have heard the gospel. Um. Okay, sorry, here, up here in front first. Uh, hi, um, this is a question for Allison. I was just wondering how did you uh, get connected with uh, Frontier's um, um, new organization and like how does, um, I guess, what, I guess how, uh, like, let me put kind of what you're how I'm working. Um, how did you find uh, physical therapy specifically to be helpful in uh, your missions? Because um, I came here and I and I'm interested in uh, occupational therapy, but I wasn't very sure how the occupational therapy can be helpful in missions. Yeah. So the question is, how did she find physical therapy um, as a career being helpful in missions? Uh, it's very helpful. <laughs> um, it's it's a great way to get into people's homes. Um, therapy is not that common in the developing world, and so it's a in in some countries it's a newer profession, and that's was the case where I was. So I didn't feel like I was taking anybody's jobs. I wasn't stepping on anybody else's toes. Um, and we were specifically working with children, and that is a neglected population in general in some of these countries. And so when the, our therapy center opened, that was before my time there, but when it opened, these kids with disabilities just started coming in out of the woodwork. It's shameful to have a kid with a disability in a lot of countries, but when they had a place to go and the moms felt safe bringing their kids there, they weren't going to feel shame, it became this community. And so opportunities came out. Not so much sharing in the center. We would have gotten kicked out in a second. But when we did home visits, we'd be going into the homes. What does it look like in your home from a therapy standpoint? How can we help you? But we got to share about Jesus more in the homes and then follow-up visits and conversations on the street. Um, it, it really did open doors. Connecting with uh, Frontiers, um, again, the person, a mobilizer with Frontiers back in the day contacted me. I said, no thanks, I don't want to go to Muslims. I don't want to do church planning. I want to do therapy. And he said, well, we actually have some therapists overseas, but I was still like, no thanks. But then after conversations, I ended up going that direction. But 
there's a lot of opportunities for therapists. Uh, so we got one more question we'll do before we take a little pause. Um, and there's been a few questions come in, so I think this would be a good one to, to touch on. Um, and it's during the preparation phase. So as a student or in that preparation phase, um, what is one of the most helpful things you did to prepare yourself? So I don't know if, if you all have any thoughts just on the single best thing that helped to prepare. I'll give you two quick ones. One was I joined the church mission committee. And um, it was a little church, but it was just a great way to make connections outside of my medical circles and um, and understand just what the relationship was like between missionaries and the local church. Um, the other one was I took the perspectives course, um, which I'd encourage you to do. And there's also now a healthcare-related uh, spinoff of the perspectives course. There's actually a intro going on to that right now, CGHIP, so watch out for that, but um, that just kind of gives you a feeling, an understanding of God's heart for the nations. I think the only thing I would add to that is also to continue to serve God while you're waiting. Uh, God has something for you to do here while uh, he's getting you prepared to where you're going to serve overseas, and so while you're going through that preparation process, uh, you know, continue to serve God, uh, be active in your local church, be active in sharing with your ministry opportunities with others, and then kind of following up uh, a little bit more on what Doug said is that preparation, you know, reading books, uh, taking courses. Uh, if the mission board that you're going to go with has training, you know, dig into that, find out more, um, and continue to, to learn while you're, you're waiting. Is there any specific resource that you guys have as far as finding these resources, the books or the courses or anything like that that you would point people to? This conference? <laughs> yeah. We've got more that we're about to share. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Um, I think... <coughs> yeah. And so there are a couple of opportunities that have developed since our brothers and sisters went. And one of them, Paige, is in the middle of and so, Paige, if I can kind of go on to this next uh, slide, and you can kind of describe what yeah. you're part of. Yeah, so I'm a part of the Goer cohort. It's a group of people. Um, it's only people, so it's not just for people that are kind of checking out missions or, or seeing what it's about. It's more for people that know that they're committed to going to missions, um, typically in the next three to five years time range. Um, it's, a, it's a group that we meet um, every other month on Zoom for a, about a two-hour period. And it's been just a really great opportunity to be able to fellowship with like-minded people. Um, we do scripture memory and Bible storying, and uh, we hear from other missionaries that are on the field um, just to be able to get wisdom and, and um, as we're kind of all going through that process together. So it's just a really unique group. So if that's... Um, something that kind of resonates with you if you find yourself that you're in that place and um, are interested in being able to connect um, more regularly with people outside of this conference um, that are in, in that same boat of preparation, um, then yeah, we would love to have you. Um, also, just with the group, it does um, include a commitment to um, a weekly Zoom or phone call prayer meeting every week um, for 30 minutes for unreached people groups too. Um, so that's just been a, an awesome um, thing that I've been able to be a part of this past year. Um, we have, um, if you're interested, you can bring your lunch to um, that room, ED213, 
today um, just to be able to, to meet some people in the group. Some of us are actually going to be meeting each other for the first time in person, which is super fun. Um, but yeah, if you'd love to, if you'd like to learn more, please feel free to come and have lunch with us. This just launched a year ago at GMHC, and that's yeah. how you found out about yeah, it, right? So exactly. I think there's two groups uh, right now, and there may be more of the development, so that's a neat opportunity. Um, something that's not virtual is the Priority 15 gathering, uh, which is uh, about every year in February. This year is going to be in Birmingham, Alabama, but want to encourage you to consider it's like, this is amazing, GMHC. It's a little overwhelming, too, right? Uh, Priority 15 is about 200 people, mostly healthcare professionals, uh, that, that gather together uh, to kind of focus on 15 of the um, least reached people groups in the, in the, uh, in the world. And so uh, may may want to make a note of that. Let's see. Are we going to be able to handle all the questions today, Paige? I don't think so. Don't there's think no so. way. We have so many. There's no way we're going to be able to get to hey, them Hey, maybe there's something else. Okay. There's a website <laughs> called askamissionary.com. And over about 15 years, I've collected questions from people at GMHC and 10 other conferences that I've done this at and, and answers from missionaries um, on panels as well as missionaries around the world. And so uh, just a whole slew of information there at askthemissionary.com. So I want to encourage you to consider that as a resource. And uh, if you can find a question that hasn't been asked, you can post that question and we'll look for more answers, okay? And so we have a section there. Uh, as well about healthcare, what's the best area of healthcare to go into? What if you're uh, married and you're both healthcare professionals? Or what if your spouse and, and your spouse is a healthcare? Where do you fit in? And so just a slew of things about different uh, questions. I think somebody asked earlier, how do you find a mission agency? And so we have questions about why and how to find one. And, uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to, uh, in a few minutes, we're going to divide up into small groups like. 11 different small groups. And so let me tell you what has happened uh, uh, previous times we've done this at GMHC. So people have told me, my group leader was great, answered a lot of questions I had. My leader did a great job being open and honest about his experiences. And then leaders wrote about the groups. This was very helpful to move things forward in uh, participants' lives. And my group said it was the best part of GMHC, talking about real things. And so we're going to break up into groups, not right now, because we've got to get set up, but I'll kind of explain to you the uh, crazy little thing we're going to do. We're going to, um, so when Paige tells you, not, not yet, not yet, right, Paige? Okay. Right, not yet. When, when, when Paige tells you, um, and actually right before that, I think Hannah and Myrna are going to go to these back two doors here. They're going to hand you a little orange sheet, um, and it has on it a map of this floor, Okay. And so you'll be going out these doors. Uh, let's see if my, uh, does the cursor show up there? Whatever. So you go out these doors. You'll go around the chapel. I guess we're up here. You'll go around the chapel. And then you'll uh, go to one of the uh, seven doors that are listed here along this aisle here. So this way over here, this is, I think, 2000, 209A. This is 209B. Um, so it's just all the way down that hallway. You go to one of those doors. And you get to pick which door to go in, okay? And let's see, what are some of the options you'll be finding out? Well, let's see, when you go to a door, you'll get a little ticket. Um, and for example, you might go to the door for singles heading towards full-time missions. And it'll tell you, um, and once you get in there, it'll tell you which table to go to. But um, let's see, where do I have the list? Of, uh, I think it's here. Here we go. Here's, here's the whole list that you'll see on that sheet. 
there's a whole lot of different categories that you can look at uh, going to. So I'm trying to think if there's anything on this on that. Um, yeah, and you can go to, you know, we've got, uh, if, you're, if you're a nurse, but you're interested more in the group of singles, you can go to that, or you can go to the group on nursing, we've got groups on couples, um, and just a whole lot of variety. And in some cases, they'll be like, um, when you go in, you'll get a ticket, and then that'll tell you which of the tables to go to so that we don't have too many people in one group. Okay, this is a little complicated. Any clarification we would suggest, Paige? No, that's good. Of course, I warned you about this in advance. Any any uh, questions you guys have? Okay, you don't leave yet. No, no, there's more to come. More to come. Yeah, yeah we got it. There's more questions and answers coming here. But right now, I think it's uh, Sharon, and uh, I think Jerry's going to stay here, but Sharon's going to come with me. I'm going to get some things set up over in that hallway. And if you're one of the panelists, the panelists, you guys stay here for more answers, okay? Uh, if you're one of the discussion group leaders, you walk out with me and, uh, and Sharon right now, but everybody else stays. You guys ready to stay? What a few people leave. Okay. Thanks, Paige. Yep. I'll give it back to Liz. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I think we've gotten a lot of questions that are very specific to different stages of life, kids, you know, how age, all of that kind of thing. So I think that a lot of those questions could also be um, addressed probably even better in the setting of some of those things. So um, just for this setting here, maybe if we could keep just a few more general questions. Um, does anybody have, yeah, why don't we get this one in the back here? Um, and I'll also address some more email ones too, just for the last few minutes that we have. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so the question is, whenever you're looking at missions organizations, what are some of the best questions that you can ask um, as far as telling the difference between them or helping to decipher that? I know for us, one was looking at what was their doctrinal statement, uh, making sure that it was consistent with what we believed, because you definitely want uh, that support. Uh, the other was, you know, we were looking at a place where I could use nursing and my husband could use teaching. And so which mission organizations um, had that. And then for us, we had known about ABWE since we were kids because uh, missionaries from that organization were part of our home churches. And so that's kind of how we ended up with them is we had known about them, we agreed with their doctrinal statement, and we knew we wanted to do teaching and nursing, and they had both of those opportunities. Uh, the other thing that is helpful is many mission boards now have like a 24-hour get-to-know-us type event um, where you can go and kind of get a quick overview about what is it that they do. And, you know, the, many of the mission boards are here, so stop by their booths, talk to them, you know, kind of find out uh, what they have and if they have kind of one of those you know, meet and greet type things where you can find out more about them. I'd also say member care is an important question too. Like how do you care for your folks once they're on the field? How do you care for them beforehand? How do you care for them afterwards? Um, those are all uh, good questions to ask. Um, if you have children, what kinds of things do you have for TCKs or third culture kids as they're called? Um, do you have any resources for them when you're on the field, or when you're off the field, when you're at conferences? Um, those are also good questions to ask. 
yeah, I, beyond even beyond doctrinal statements, what are their core values? Because we can all agree on essential doctrine, but then how we play that out uh, can be very different. And yeah, on, on field presence, I think, is a big key. We, we saw the importance of actually having people on the field that were able to make decisions and support you member care. Very, very crucial. Yeah. Um, we have another question. Um, are there disadvantages or advantages to going on long-term missions without raising support as like a tent maker paying your own way if God has enabled that type of opportunity? So that's actually a very feasible option that many mission boards are actually starting to look at, um, where you would still be with the mission board, so you've got that accountability and sort of that cross-cultural expertise, but then an opportunity to be more of a tent maker. And so those are great conversations to have with the mission boards. you know, like for me, if I told you my last name, you could Google me and you will see me showing up at the university. And so that's been helpful because I don't have to remain hidden um, because it's very obvious I have a leadership role at the university. And so, you know, some of those tent making opportunities might be able to provide you with a different presence. But, you know, also because of that, then, you know, I am obligated, you know, to teach my 40 hours plus, you know, every week. I And so my ministry is very much focused at the university rather than being in the community. And so recognize, you know, tent making might be a great way to be there, but how do you do that with excellence? Um, and then what opportunities would you have for ministry perhaps in a local church? Um, but those are definitely possibilities. So talk with a mission board on, on what they would look at with that. Some of the advantages of support raising, though, are that you have that community. You have people investing in what's going on. And it, it, um, it's not, prayer support is great, but when people also invest financially into, into spreading the kingdom and working through you, they're a little bit more tied to, um, to what you're doing. Yeah, that's good. Do we have a question right here? Yeah, I was wondering what it looks like in you guys' context to call people into relationship with Christ, into discipleship, into into this, um, into the kingdom, living for people within your cultural context, maybe honor shame. What does it mean to disciple? Do you have an example of what that could look like? Yeah, so the question, oh, sorry. Yeah, just in your, from your experience. Yeah, so the question is based on their experience or if they could give an example of what does it mean to disciple or to build the kingdom in their certain context. Uh, Just a brief example. Um, So uh, when I was, um, one of the ways is is sharing stories about Christ. And so I'll just give a brief story. My house helper, um, illiterate, single mom, lowest of the low here. Um, But she just had a heart that was hungry and it was obvious. And so just sharing stories about uh, Christ building those bridges, but then there's also we had a little app in a local language and so we would watch this little video about five minutes long that had a um, series of stories from creation to Christ essentially, um, getting her to tell that story in her own words, encouraging her to share that story with her, her family, with her friends, with her community, with her circle and then seeing that grow and develop and who did you share with? Um, how can we pray with you in that? Um, that's the very beginning stages um, in my context. 
We have a, uh, another question here. I think that we get to address. It says, "How do you navigate chronic health conditions when serving on long-term missions? Has access to health care ever played a role in your location decision for ministry or a decision to not serve abroad?" So I've actually been asked this question by others who want to go overseas. And again, uh, talk to the folks that are on the ground, what's available, uh, you know, what is the healthcare system look like, what medications are available. Can you even bring in medications from the U.S. into your country? Uh, we've had uh, some folks who thought that they could do mail-order meds from the U.S. into the country, and we're kind of surprised when Customs was like, oh, thank you for that donation. We'll enjoy selling these, um, but you won't get them. And so, you know, ask the questions. Find out what's available. Uh, you know, are there others who've had similar, you know, chronic health conditions? Um, you know, and what's available? You know, things like, you know, insulin-dependent diabetes. I know some mission agencies will say, nope, not even going to talk to you. Others are like, okay, well, let's think about where that might be. They're probably not going to send you to a remote part of Africa. But there is certainly a lot of need for, you know, in the more urban areas uh, for ministry as well. And so I, I think ask questions, explore, find out what's available, uh, you know, pray about it. Maybe do consider doing a short-term trip there um, and to investigate further. Jeff, did you have anything? Very similar. And yeah. We did have a, a short-term income type 1 diabetic. And he, he did fine managing his diabetes, but when he got malaria, then that was another story. And it, it does present difficulties. So it, I think talking to the team on the ground and saying what are the resources there and what sort of burden might you be on that team if you did go. Uh, so it could be done, but I think you need to be wise about it. Uh, okay. Real quick. Uh, everyone in this situation with the U.S. State Department and market can't be right. You don't go there because it's dangerous. And at the same time, uh, also the same, same organization that sent you said you cannot go there, but you have this strong calling, you have to go. And the situation of the ground may not be as real as it is. Yes. <coughs> And the second thing would be four, so the gospel might be pitched in and out of season. So how do you deal with situations like that? So the question is, how do you approach um, situations where, you know, maybe you feel like the Lord is calling you to a place or something, but the security situation doesn't necessarily allow or isn't advised? Well, I'll respond because we, as you know, we, we I think you and we have lived through that um, as we're, Hearing explosions, my children got to know what was a landmine, what was gunfire, you know, and so we knew that the security situation was escalating, the civil war was getting closer to where we were living. And and we're watching the, certainly I think the State Department, like the U.S. Embassy alerts that we get, uh, I, I still get step notifications from Uganda and South Sudan. Um, it's interesting, reading those now, um, you know, the, the concept of being a frog in the kettle, um, where where you, know, you slowly turn up the heat and the frog doesn't realize it until it's already boiled. Um, we had to constantly be aware of that. And I think listening to um, the, the wisdom of uh, people within your agency, um, and but then also knowing the local situation, like you're saying, sometimes it sounds a lot worse from the U.S. Embassy uh, notifications than it actually is where you really are. And working with your security advisor, hopefully your agency has that, 
to to discern is it is it okay because it is a calling. You know, we we had our our eight children with us there. It was the life we knew that they knew. We didn't want to leave. And in fact, our staff left before we did. You know, because we didn't want to. Um, and so it's a difficult choice. And I think I think you do need to to be in conversation with your agency and and uh, talking about what what's the wisest course and those on the ground. Um, I know that we've had some talk about the importance of, of a home church as you're sending church and all of that. And we had one question that, what do you do if your church doesn't have a missions group or isn't very missions-minded? It's a tough one. What advice would you give somebody in that kind of situation? <laughs> if the Lord's calling you to go, he'll provide. So um, I would have conversations with your pastor, your elders, um, talk to your sending agency or who you're thinking about going with and see how they can help you. Like maybe there's an area mobilizer within in your region that would be able to come in and maybe come alongside of you and talk to your pastor or leaders of your church. Um, ask for help. Um, but, you know, if God is calling you to go, be clear in your calling and keep keep persisting. I... I hadn't, I haven't experienced this personally, but um, I do. I did have a colleague in Nepal who, um, who was part of a church that would fit that description, and she, she did a great job being a catalyst to get them interested in, in it. And she had spaghetti dinners and made T-shirts and you know just did did creative stuff to be a, a catalyst to to help change that. And they've been fully behind her in her ministry in Nepal. So um, it's, a, it's a challenging setup, but it doesn't mean it can't change with your um, efforts and God's blessings. I would say to perspectives got brought up earlier. If there's a perspectives class in your area, get someone from your church to go with you to that. So just join me in this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the question is, um, what kind of theological Bible class type training or preparation did you do? So with my mission agency, they actually have a series that you needed to uh, do. And so they do require some basic theological training like Old Testament or New Testament survey. And then they also do a lot with the Good Soil Discipleship um, program. And so we attended training related to the Good Soil Soil Discipleship program and how you can share the message of hope or the story of hope with others. And so they did provide that training. Um, And some was in person. And now, obviously, a lot more of it is online, which makes it a lot easier to access. Yeah, I think agencies are going to have different requirements there. Um, and sometimes they're more lax for people who are going to be doing healthcare work versus if you're doing church formal church planning for understandable reasons. Um, for, I did. I had probably 20 credits of undergraduate um, Bible and theology related um, classes. So, yeah, it's going to depend, but it's time well spent. Uh, we have one last super quick question before we have to wrap up um, here before you go to your other rooms. 
Um, and it's uh, physician-related with pursuing DO route instead of MD change how you would serve overseas. I, um, once, you've, once you've done your residency, uh, oftentimes there's not a great deal of difference in terms of how people are viewed, um, DO versus MD, um, other than whether or not you can continue with you know, um, what kind of hands-on manipulations and whatnot, which can be very useful in a developing world context, too. Um, but it, it, the, the U.S. licensure is, is the key bit there, and with you having a U.S. licensure as a DO or an MD probably doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Okay, awesome, thanks. Um, so if Hannah and Myrna could go to the back room. Sorry, this is uh, all the time that we have for questions here in this room, but I'm hopeful that for y'all that still have questions that haven't, haven't been able to get answered, that'll happen in the context of the smaller groups. Um, so Jeff, would you be able to pray us out? Sure. Okay. Father God, we uh, thank you for this time to come before you and together with one another, Lord. Your body is a, a wonderful thing. Lord, we have so much to learn from one another. And I thank you for this time that we were able to share. Lord, we uh, pray that that would continue as we break into smaller groups, Lord, that you would guide those conversations, those questions, and that your perfect work would be done in that time. And as we continue on in the day, Lord, that you would uh, be the sovereign God that you are in our particular moments that we have here. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me in thanking our panelists.